In John chapter 14, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. These days, it seems that more and more hearts are troubled. More and more of us sometimes feel afraid. How do we find that peace that Christ promised, the peace that is unlike any peace the world can give us? John Hilton III is an associate professor of ancient scripture at Brigham Young University. Prior to his position at BYU, he worked with seminaries and institute programs of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in a variety of capacities. John has a master's degree from Harvard and a PhD from BYU, both in education. He loves teaching, snowboarding, doing humanitarian service, performing magic, and spending time with his family. John and his wife, Lonnie, are the parents of six children. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Jones, and I am so grateful to have John Hilton on the line with me today. John, welcome. Thank you, Morgan. It's great to be here. Well, I have been listening. I usually am not an audiobook person, but in in quarantine, I think you start doing things you don't normally do. So I'm usually a hard book person, but I've been listening to your new book, Founder of Our Peace, and I love it. And I've been learning so much. And so I'm so excited to share some of the things that that you have studied and ideas that you've pondered and that have ruminated for you. And um, I think that they'll be so helpful to people, especially right now, because we're in a very weird time. And, and I think you have so many valuable thoughts to share with people. So first of all, John, I am curious when you started to view the gospel as a tool to battling concerns, worries, and at times even anxieties that we have in our minds and in our hearts. You know, Morgan, honestly, for me at a young age, it it started when I was about 11 years old at one day at recess, this bully came up to me and he said, John, after school, I'm going to beat you up. And I'm sure he didn't really mean it and he forgot about it, but I didn't forget about it. I was terrified and I ran home from school as fast as I could. But even though the bully didn't find me after school, I realized I had a problem. I had a paper route and in order to pick up my newspapers every day, I would have to ride my bike right past the bully's house. And so not that first day, but within a few days after that, I I, I mean, I was afraid every single day. I dreaded that hour or two of my afternoon. And so I realized I needed to do something. And, and again, I don't know how this idea came to my mind, but I felt like I should look up the word fear in the topical guide. And I started finding verses like the righteous need not fear or they that be with us are more than be with them. And I wrote a little list of 10 or 15 scriptures that really gave me a lot of comfort and peace. And before I would go pick up my newspapers every day or in future months, when I was afraid for some other reason, I would reread those scriptures. So Again, I think it's kind of funny that I had that idea as a kid. I must have been a great family home evening my parents gave one day or a, a talk in church. But even at a young age, I had the impression that the teachings of Jesus Christ could help me with situations that were emotionally dangerous for me. 
I want to touch on this actually before we go on to anything else. This idea of bullying and kindness. It's actually something that I've been thinking about the past few days because one of my very best friends has a daughter. And in quarantine, she was in a group text and somebody started making fun of her, not realizing that she was in the text. Uh, And I know, I know. And my heart has just been hurting over this and remembering how hard it was for me growing up, but how much harder it has to be now for kids when there is so much technology. And, and I just wonder, John, as somebody that experience that bullying, why do you think it's so important for us to encourage kindness and to and and then also with you and your own family now, how do you how do you encourage that? And then also what do you teach your kids about when they do encounter people that are unkind? Yeah, you know, that's such a huge issue and it's so sad that it is that way. I mean, I think if you focus on Jesus Christ himself, kindness is his epitome, right? He epitomizes kindness. And so the more that we can strive to have kindness in our lives, I think we're going to be a lot happier. The challenge is, like you said, what happens when our kids are interacting with people who aren't, or we're interacting with people who aren't. So for me, I think one of the most important things we can do is to help our children build resilience because bad things are going to happen to them, whether that's on the playground when they're 11 years old or in a group chat when they're 15 years old. But at some point in time, they need to know how to bounce back from these difficult things. And for me, I think it's really helpful to know that there's lots of people in the scriptures that have gone through depression, fear, anxiety. Nephi, we could say, was bullied in a major way by his older brothers, and they were able to find comfort and peace. So I think even though you know, in some situations, for example, you're going to need counseling or there's, you're going to need some outside professional help with dealing with severe issues of bullying. I think that there's a lot that we can gain by focusing on how people in the scriptures handled similarly difficult situations. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great example. And I think Nephi, you know, who doesn't want their older siblings to think that they are just the coolest? And so how much that must have hurt him. I think that's such a good example. You mentioned that that sometimes these things, bullying, worry, any amount of anxiety, that sometimes these things require professional help. So we're going to talk today about some tools and things for battling and combating these difficult emotional things that we experience in our lives. But first of all, before we get into that, I just want to ask, how do you balance using these tools and seeking professional help? Because I don't want these things to be viewed as a replacement for that, for seeking that professional help if needed. I think that's such an important point. The way that I think about finding peace through Jesus Christ is that it's necessary but it may not be sufficient depending on the situation. If someone is struggling with clinical depression, undoubtedly they're going to gain strength from focusing on Jesus Christ. But there's also going to need to be medical interventions as well. And so I I believe that the types of tools that I write about in the founder of our piece are things that 
we can all try, we can all benefit from. And for some of us, that might be all we need to find greater peace in our lives. But if we're doing those types of things and still finding ourselves in a cloud of depression or faced with crippling anxiety, that's also a signal that more professional help would be needed. That's an excellent answer. I've actually never thought of it exactly that way. I think sometimes, John, even just our efforts to live the gospel can lead to worry or anxiety for some people. And it's not that that's what God would want for us. I think actually quite the opposite. But I think sometimes because we tend to view scriptures or prayers as something that we have to do every day. And if we don't do those things, like what's going to happen to us? And I just wondered what you think we can learn about how God feels about our efforts to perfectly live the gospel leading to feelings of anxiousness. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting connection because even though you think living the gospel is going to bring peace, sometimes this attempt to overlive the gospel can bring anxiety. In in psychology, this would be termed legalism. Legalism is this excessive conformity to a religious code where you know, it's one thing to keep the commandments, but to be legalistic would be to make sure that I'm doing every little tiny thing. And if I make one small mistake, I'm beating myself up for it. And actually, um, some BYU professors recently published a study where they surveyed BYU students uh, and those who were excessively focused, they had this legalistic tendency of, I've got to do everything just perfect. They had a harder time feeling the grace of Jesus Christ in their lives. And I thought that was super interesting that they could figure this out through psychological surveys and identify that a focus on legalism interrupts our ability to have grace. A real quick side note, Morgan, I forgot, do we have show notes? Like, I mean, can I, can I, so I can say like, we can link, I can give you a link to put into the, to the article for show notes or something like that. Absolutely. Yep. So anything that you reference, we can totally link to. So yeah, maybe we can put in a a little link in the show notes to a summary of their article or the full, full article. I can give them both to you. Um, but I, and again, I think it's really interesting that although in general, keeping the commandments brings peace, if we become excessively focused on perfectionism, trying to do everything just right, that actually can have the opposite effect. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's like the Pharisees, you know, like if we are so obsessed with counting our steps every day, then we've kind of missed the point. Yeah. And that example of counting our steps. So there's nothing in the Bible that says how many steps you can take on Sunday, but the, or the Sabbath day. But one of the things that the Pharisees were focused on are what we might call fence laws, these extra rules or commandments that they imposed to make sure that they didn't break a real commandment. So a real commandment is to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But then they put these extra little rules. And I think that sometimes in our lives, it's trying to keep up with all these extra rules that aren't even part of the gospel of Jesus Christ that can add a lot of stress or judgment where it leads us to feel judged by others or to judge others, all of which are really damaging to our peace. Yeah. John, you talk about these fence laws in your book. Um, Can you give listeners a a couple of examples of some of those things that we see in our culture today? Yeah, you bet. 
And just to be clear, sometimes fence laws can be really helpful, especially if they're coming from a prophet or maybe a person feels the Holy Ghost guiding them to a fence law. So just because something is a fence law doesn't mean that it's not good. So for example, a mother might tell her teenager, you're not allowed to go into the bedroom of a member of the opposite sex. So there's nothing like against the commandment of going into the bedroom of an opposite member of the opposite sex, but that's a fence law to prevent someone from breaking the law of chastity. Or a college student might pray and feel the Holy Ghost guide her to a very specific standard for the law of chastity. And, and those are great examples. I think the, the trouble comes when we start to use the personal fences we create for ourselves as a standard that everyone has to follow. So for example, let's say that I find it really helpful to write down a tender mercy that I receive every day. So I give a talk in sacrament reading and describe the importance of writing down a tender mercy every day. Well, then maybe another person who's felt prompted to do something different with their scripture study could feel pressure like, oh, well, now I'm not really all in if I don't do that as well. And when that starts to add up, then the high counselor says, we need to read all the general conference talks three times between each conference session. And then I find out I'm supposed to be reading the Come Follow Me curriculum. And all of a sudden, I can be caught up in a frenzy to do all these great tasks that individually would be amazing, but together can maybe put on too much pressure. Yeah. I think two two things to follow up on that. I think one thing is that sometimes when we've put a lot of pressure on ourselves to keep those personal fence laws that we've established, sometimes we feel guilt that we didn't live up to even our own standard. And I think that that can be detrimental. Another thing that I was just thinking about, John, is I think, well, first of all, have you heard of this term scrupulosity? Yeah, no, that would be related to the legalism that we were talking about, where you're just so laser-like focused on having everything done just right. Yeah. So for those listening that are not familiar with this, I actually, I'll link, there were two articles in the September Enzyme, but it was the online version only. And I've become kind of fascinated by this concept of scrupulosity, which is a religious form of OCD, as I understand it. And it's where these these good things, our efforts to do these good things, ultimately turn into a negative because of the way that we're we're viewing them and i think it's important for us to realize that that is a thing and that that does happen to people and that there are resources to help us in combating that and making sure that for us the gospel is a joyful thing because i don't think that the lord intended it to be something that is hurting our souls or causing pain. I think he wants the gospel to be, and certainly there are things where we need repentance and we need to to go through different things to feel that joy again. But I think long-term, he, he wants it to be a joyful thing. Would you agree with that, John? Absolutely. And I, I think that's a really important point for all of us who are maybe teachers in the church. So to realize that if I'm teaching a class of people and some of them have scrupulosity, they're going to hear my message very differently than somebody else in the room. And so trying to strike the balance between, I don't know, reaching out, maybe something, maybe there's someone in my classroom that actually needs a call to repentance, but that call to repentance might sound so harsh to a person with scrupulosity that they walk away feeling completely devastated. So I think just being aware that we're going to have different people 
that we're teaching and different personality types can be really helpful as we extend invitations to others to live the gospel. So well said and such a great point. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about some of the patterns of peace that you talk about in this book. So again, the intent is not to be a replacement for professional help, but I do think that you offer so many practical application suggestions for how to draw upon the peace that can come from the gospel of Jesus Christ in this book. So first of all, I just have to ask you, how did you discover these patterns of peace? And how did you kind of originally have the idea for creating this book? So it was kind of an intersection between reading psychological studies and reading the scriptures, especially maybe lesser known scripture stories. So uh, just as an example, in the book of Genesis, we read about a guy named Jacob. This is, he's later going to change his name to Israel. And Jacob's twin brother, Esau, they have a lot of disagreements together. So because Esau wants to kill Jacob, Jacob leaves his hometown. But eventually when he comes back, he's brought his family with him. But Esau is coming towards him with an army of 400 people. And the scriptures say that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And so for the next 24 hours, he's doing all these things to prepare. But it turns out he had nothing to worry about. When he sees Esau the next day, Esau gives him a big hug. And so the lesson that I kind of wrote down in my scriptures there in Genesis is sometimes the things that we're worried about don't actually happen. And then I came across some psychological studies that show that actually in modern life, psychologists have established that's a fact, that for many of us, most of the things that we worry about actually don't happen. And so kind of seeing this connection between a lesser known scripture study and the psychological study got me really interested in what other principles can we find in the scriptures that might help bring greater peace to our hearts. That is so cool. And I think so, so important. We had an episode of this podcast where we had Brooke Snow on and she talked about how her mission president gave her some advice. And he just said, nothing is going to happen to your family if you don't pray for them every day. And I thought that was kind of mind shifting for me because growing up, I had like a laundry list of things that I needed to pray about every night. And if I didn't pray about those things, I felt like something bad might happen. And I just don't think that's the way that God works. And so I love that you're talking about, you know, a lot of these things that we're worried about are not real. And and I think so many of the things worry is stemming from our thoughts about a certain thing. Right. And, and often whatever, even if whatever we're worried about were to actually happen, we overestimate how bad it's going to hurt and we underestimate our ability to bounce back. So I, I think there's a host of great lessons that we can learn both from the scriptures and modern psychology about overcoming these natural tendencies that many of us have to worry and obsess about things that, like you were saying, don't actually even matter. Yeah. I am interested, John, in how these things that we're going to talk about, these patterns of peace, how they have helped you in your personal life. Well, maybe I can give a couple of examples. One of these patterns of peace we learn from Alma the Younger. So Alma the Younger, he has two major jobs. Once he repents and gets on the right track, he's the chief judge. So it's the highest political office in all the land. And he's also the high priest, which is the highest office in the church. 
And he's so busy, the time comes when he really can't effectively do both of these things. And so he quits one of them. He quits being the high priest, excuse me, he quits being the chief judge so that he can focus on his role as the high priest. And to me, that was like a really powerful shift to see that Alma, like me, like you, like many of us, he's juggling so many good things. It's not like he's choosing between good and bad. He's choosing between good and good. But he had to decide what he would stop doing so he could do the things that were most important. And for me, that's been a really powerful life lesson is to a lot of times the lack of peace I feel in my life is just I'm trying to do too much. I'm overly stressed. And it's important to look and say, okay, what can I stop doing? A lot of times we think, okay, what am I going to start doing? But Alma teaches us, what will I stop doing? For me, that's been really helpful. That's really insightful. So I feel like right now, people's worries are very broad. I just did something for my church calling last night. We did kind of like a pseudo podcast. And I interviewed a therapist asking a bunch of questions that sisters in my single stake have about this time with the the pandemic. And I they were so broad and like things that some of the things I never would have even thought about. And so I think there's a wide span of concerns and worries that are weighing heavy on people's hearts, ranging from financial and economic concerns to social concerns and on and on and on. So right now, while anxieties run high, which Christ-centered patterns do you think would be most helpful for people to learn about? One of them that I think is really valuable is to shift our hopes from temporal things to a hope in Jesus Christ. So, I mean, think about something that you regret, maybe something in the past week or month that you deeply regret. I found in my life that if I can shift that regret to a focus on Jesus Christ, it can change my perspective. Maybe I can give like a specific example. Let's say financially right now, I'm hurting because I've lost some money because of COVID-19, some job opportunities I was counting on, I'm not getting anymore. But I can shift that economic loss if I focus and remember, look, my goals in life aren't only about money. There's a focus on Jesus Christ and he's still there. That can bring some peace. In fact, Mormon in the book of Moroni, uh, chapter seven, he says, what is it that ye shall hope for? Behold, ye shall have hope through the atonement of Christ and the power of his resurrection. So a lot of things in our life are going wrong and honestly might not go right. In fact, I, I, this is kind of a related topic, but I think one of the lessons that for me has been really powerful in bringing peace and maybe for us at this difficult time is to remember that, especially in the scriptures, there is often not a happy ending. We tend to focus on the miracles like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are delivered from the fiery furnace, but Abinadi, he's put to death. Or we talk about Ammon and the sons of Mosiah and they convert all the Lamanites. It's this awesome miracle, but Mormon... Mormon spends his whole life trying to convert the Nephites. They don't convert and they're all destroyed by the Lamanites and Mormon's eventually murdered. I mean, his life does not turn out in mortality to have a happy ending. I think if we can shift our mentality from, okay, I'm going to pray and God's going to bless me with exactly what I want when I want it to I'm going to keep my covenants no matter what. It's a powerful shift in our lives when we remember it's okay if our kids don't do everything that we hope they will, or it's okay if 
I lose this great opportunity. In the long run, Jesus Christ is going to wipe away all my tears and I can focus my hope on him. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit, John, about having a relationship with Christ and coming to know him. First of all, I wonder, have you always felt that you have had a strong relationship with Christ in your personal life? Or do you feel like that is something that there were kind of points that you can point back to and say, oh, that's where I created that relationship with Christ, or that's where my relationship with Christ became stronger? So to be honest with you, I I don't know that I could say I've always had a strong relationship with Jesus Christ, because I I don't think that that was always my my focus. I was recently talking with a friend who's probably in his 60s. And like many people, one of the big challenges in his life is that some of his children are leaving the church. And he said to me, I think um, these are his, uh, I'm paraphrasing his words. He said to me something like, I wonder if we focus so much when your generation was growing up on the phrase, I know the church is true, that we forgot to mention, I know that Jesus Christ is true. And this is, I mean, of of course, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is true. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes I think, and this was for me when I was growing up, there was a focus on the church is true, the church is true, but not so much that what that meant in terms of Jesus Christ. And I see today the church leaders really focusing us so much more on Jesus Christ. It's not the church is true. This is the church of Jesus Christ. It's his gospel. And so over the past probably decade, as I've focused more directly on Jesus Christ to study his life, his teachings with more of a purpose and a focus of thinking about Jesus Christ. Yes, I definitely feel like I've come to know him better and develop that relationship. Yeah. I think that that building that relationship is kind of like a lifelong quest and and something that changes and evolves over time at least in my personal experience I feel like my relationship with Christ and my dependence on him is very different than it was a few years ago um and I'm grateful for that that doesn't mean that it's been easy but I'm grateful for the the role that he has taken in my life. And I wonder for you, John, what do you think people have to gain? So let's say there's a college student that is kind of like, I don't really understand what I have to gain from having a relationship with Christ. What would you say we stand to gain from establishing that relationship or working to strengthen it? And how does that invite peace into our lives? Because I think every college student would like to feel more peace. This is not an easy time to be a college student. I totally agree. I mean, and it's like Abinadi is the one who used the phrase to describe Jesus Christ. He is the founder of peace. And I think maybe some people grow up and they think about Jesus Christ maybe in a negative way, maybe because of scrupulosity or something else is that it's a, it's a checklist mentality, but Jesus Christ brings joy. King Benjamin said, whosoever should believe that Christ should come, the same can rejoice with exceedingly great joy. And I think if we just understand that developing a relationship of with Jesus Christ is one that brings joy, warmth, love, kindness, happiness into our lives. It's something that we'll naturally want to do. One thing that I I think having a relationship with Jesus Christ helps us 
kind of remember and keep at the front of our minds is that this life is not the only life. We had a life in premortality. We will have a life after this one because of Jesus Christ. And for me, one of the patterns of peace that's been really powerful is to remember that our ancestors are still alive. Even though they might not be alive on this earth, they're alive in the spirit world. And there's actually several quotes from prophets that talk about how our ancestors still know who we are, they care about us, and maybe in answer to our prayers, when God's going to dispatch a heavenly messenger to help out, sometimes he will send our ancestors. And so for me, one of the patterns of peace that's been really powerful is to specifically pray for ancestors to help with challenges that I'm facing that I think they would particularly care about. I remember my wife and I were going through a really difficult time about three years ago. There was a huge challenge in our lives and we both felt really impressed to pray and specifically ask for some of our great, great grandparents to assist us in this challenge. And it brought a tremendous amount of peace into our lives. And I just want to, I know that our ancestors are alive still and that they will reach out to us. And I'm not saying that we should pray to our ancestors, but we can pray to Heavenly Father in the name of Christ and ask for their help. We often talk about how the hearts of the children are turned to the fathers. So like we go to the temple and do work for our ancestors that they can't do for themselves. But the scriptures also say that the hearts of the fathers are turned to the children. And I think that they are on the other side working to do things that we can't do for ourselves. And knowing that for me has brought a lot of peace. Yeah, I agree completely. You mentioned earlier, John, this study that was done at BYU by some BYU professors, I believe colleagues of yours that studied about our understanding of grace and how that can relate to feelings of worry and that it can affect our mental health as well. Can you tell us a little bit about your understanding of that study and what, what we can learn from that? Yeah, I think, I think the key is to realize that we're not responsible to do everything on our own. Part of the study focused on this phrase, we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. And some people feel like, okay, that phrase, after all we can do, means I've got to do all this stuff, and then the grace of Jesus Christ is going to kick in. And what what the researchers found is that when young adults believe more in grace, they experience less anxiety, depression, shame, religious guilt. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't repent, we don't do our best to keep the commandments. But when we remember that the grace of Jesus Christ is there to help us all the way, 100%, that changes our perspective and viewpoint on life. Yeah. You work, John, with with college-age students. Is that right? That's true, yeah. What have you seen in terms of things that cause worry and fear in, in college students, and how have you witnessed the power of Jesus Christ inviting peace into specifically that age demographic's lives? Well, I think one of the biggest ones is, it's huge for all of us, I think maybe especially college students, is comparison. 
So I, I'm a professor at Brigham Young University, and most of the students who come to BYU have been very successful academically. They were the Laurel class president. They were an amazing pianist. They passed three AP tests. And then they come to BYU and find out that all their roommates were the Laurel class president. And one of the roommates <laughs> took seven AP tests, and everyone can play the piano. And this, this sense of I'm not enough starts to fill in. And then I'm looking at social media and I'm seeing what everyone else is doing and I have this fear of missing out. And so I think all of these comparisons really can be debilitating in our lives. And, and so the, the solution to that, that, that I've, I've actually witnessed in the lives of many of my college students is to consciously focus on not comparing ourselves to others, but instead, like we were talking about before, focusing on the grace of Jesus Christ in the, in the book of Mormon, there's this really poignant part in Ether chapter 12 where Moroni is explicitly comparing his writing to the writing of the brother of Jared. And he's talking to the Lord and he says, the Gentiles are going to mock at my writing. I'm not as good of a writer as the brother of Jared. And he's super discouraged. And it's in this context that Jesus says to Moroni, my grace is sufficient. And I think that's so powerful that the solution for Moroni and for us today of this debilitating trap of comparison is to remember that Jesus Christ's grace is sufficient. He is enough. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, John. I just have one last question for you before we wrap up. And it is the question that we ask at the end of every episode of this podcast. And that just is, what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, I love listening to this podcast, Morgan. So I knew that you were going to ask that question. <laughs> so I thought a little bit about it. And I think one for me, the number one part of that is to focus on Jesus Christ. Your question is, what does it mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I think there was probably an earlier time in my life when I focused on being all in the gospel, meaning I was focused on doing all these things that I'm supposed to do, but I wasn't focused on Jesus Christ. I was missing the mark. So the number one thing is to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ means I'm focused on Jesus Christ. I'm trying to learn of him I preach of Christ, I talk of Christ, I rejoice of Christ, I'm studying him. And then number two, I think, is to listen to his prophets. Over and over again in the scriptures, Jesus Christ emphasizes the importance of prophets. And so for me to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ, I have to be listening carefully to what they're saying and following their words. It's interesting because I think those two things, before you even said number two, I was thinking, I think President Nelson is working so hard to point us toward that, whether it's having Christ-centered art in the lobbies of our chapels or changing the the way that we refer to ourselves. I think all of those things are in an effort to point us toward Christ. And so by following the prophet, will be doing both of those things. So John, thank you so much for sharing your experiences and your insights and good luck with with sharing these things with other people. I think they're so important. Thanks, Morgan. It's been so great to talk with you today. A huge thank you to John Hilton for joining us on this week's episode. Be sure to check out our show notes for additional resources. We'll also be sharing a special treat on our Instagram account later this week. So be sure to follow us at allin.podcast. Special thanks to Derek Campbell of Mix It Six Studios for his work on this episode. We'll look forward to spending more time with you next week.